Happy Easter. <laughs> he is risen. Amen. Mm. If you were here last week, just uh, if you weren't here last week, I just want to catch you up real quick on where we were in the story leading to the cross. And we talked about how Mary brought her alabaster box to Jesus last week and how she, she broke that alabaster box. And the, the scripture says that she broke it and that she poured it on the head of Christ. Now, last week we acknowledged that inside that alabaster box, they said that the, the, the disciples and all the, those standing around who were ridiculing Mary said that we could have sold that for three, over 300 denarii, which would have been close to a year's wage. So it's like... Mary took a year's worth of salary and just dumped it on the head of Jesus and said, Jesus, you're worthy of all that I have. I'm going to give you everything. And this is what we said, the, what we keyed in on together last week, is that was a gesture from Mary that there's no turning back in my following Jesus. See, we said after she broke the alabaster box, there was no way to sweep up the oil or to, or, or to, to, to get the oil back and put it back and then to glue the box back together. This was a gesture from the heart of Mary saying, Jesus, there's no going back to where I was. All that I have is yours. I'm pouring all of myself on you for your glory and your fame. There was no going back for her. And we, we talked about how last week we, we, we wanted to be a people who made those kind of gestures in our own life. Jesus, there's, there's no going back. We want to pour out all of ourselves on you. We want to follow you with everything that we have. And everybody kind of ridiculed her and scoffed at her. And Jesus stopped them and said, what she has done, she has done for my burial. Matter of fact, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, this woman will be remembered. Today we're, we're at a different place. A little more time has passed and Friday was tough. And Friday was a tough day. Friday was a hard day. See, Friday, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who said that he would set all things right and reconcile us to God, was led down the Villa Della Rosa and he didn't, he didn't flex his power or his might. See, he didn't wield nature to submit to his, to his authority in that moment. The, you know, the way it was when he was on the, the sea and the storm was raging and all he had to do was speak a word. But on the way to the cross, he didn't say anything. Friday was a hard day. See, Friday was the day that the, the Prince of Peace was spread out on a cross for ultimate humiliation and his mother stood watching her baby boy ripped to shreds for sinful men and women. Friday was a tough day. See, Friday was the day that Jesus was nailed to the cross and willingly submitted like a lamb led to the slaughter, Scripture says. And when he looks up from the cross to see his friends and his supporters, they've all gone. Say Mary and, and John. Friday was a hard day. The Lamb of God would embrace and endure the full wrath of God. But as difficult and dark as Friday was, Sunday has come. Amen. <laughs> the darkness has been evaporated by the light. Amen. Today we will walk through what it must have looked like, what it must have felt like to be a disciple 
for those three days, what it must have been like to be one of his followers, what that meant for them, where they were going, what it would mean for the rest of their lives, and what it means for us. Friday was a tough day. And I want to read it to you. Go with me to John chapter 19. Beginning in verse 28. After this, we'll pray together. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there so that a sponge, uh, so they put a sponge uh, full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I love the fact this morning, this isn't the sermon, but I'm just going to give you something free real quick to take home with you, put it in your pocket. I love the fact that Jesus said, it is finished, and in the same breath, what, what he was really saying for the believer is, it's not over. Amen. Sin is finished, shame is finished, doubt is finished. The old letter of the law trying to live up to this standard that would have been impossible is absolutely finished. But it's not over for the believer. He's about to give us righteousness and resurrection forevermore. Amen? Amen. Tug that one away. We'll keep going to the sermon. Since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was high day, and the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it was born witness, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may believe, hear that word, grab a hold of that word, cling to that word, that you may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today. God, we confess and admit that Friday was a tough day, God. But Lord, we believe that Sunday has come and you have risen from the grave, Lord, with life and liberty, God, to those who would follow you and turn from their sin, repent and chase after you with all that they have, God, you have given life. And Lord, we love you for that. So, Lord, we pray today as we look at the crucifixion, God, as we rejoice in the crucifixion and we revel in the resurrection, God, I pray that you help us understand what that means for us, what actually happened there, God. It wasn't just nails and wood, God, Lord. It was the unraveling, the unfolding of your glory before man, God, the display of your love for the nations. Help us grab a hold of that. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. The crucifixion, uh, like... We, we read, and there was much more that went into the crucifixion. His hands and feet were nailed. There was a crown of thorns thrust onto his head. He was strung there for ultimate humiliation. Josephus, the Jewish historian, actually said that the crucifixion is the most wretched of deaths. We, we needed a word to describe the crucifixion and to define the crucifixion. The crucifixion was so bad. Have you ever heard the word excruciating? From the cross. Like, like it was a, such a different, deep, terrible kind of pain, we made up words to fit it. I want you to hear this this morning. The crucifixion was God in Christ doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
So you hear me pray that often from this pulpit. You hear me pray, God, would you do in my heart what I cannot do for myself? And I, I pray that every single Sunday I ask God to do those incredible things. But today, hear me, when we look at the cross, it's this display, this picture of God doing in the person and work of Christ what we could have never done on our own. We could have never lived clean enough. We could have never given enough money, attended church regularly enough. And we could have never sang pretty enough or preached enough sermons to make God love us. It had to be Christ in our place. So when we look to the cross, we see God doing in the person and work of Christ what we could never have done for ourselves, and we rejoice. Amen? Oh, we rejoice. The crucifixion, uh, even beyond that, God doing what we could have never done for ourselves, the crucifixion answers two questions that we have to ask ourselves. Does God hate sin? Look at the cross. And he, he hated it so much that it took a cross. His spotless, sinless son led to the cross, displayed there in humiliation. The son of God crucified. So you ask, does God hate sin? Absolutely, look at the cross. But then you have to ask the same question in the character and heart of God. Does God love the sinner? And we do the same thing. We look to the cross. Does God hate sin? Absolutely. Look at the cross. Does God love the sinner? Absolutely. Look at the cross. Where the sinner belonged, but the Savior was nailed. <laughs> and every sin along with him. The Bible tells us that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He carried your sin. He carried all of your brokenness to the cross. And he hung there faithfully. And he gave up his life so that you could have it. The righteousness of Christ deposited into your life. The cross, the crucifixion answers those two questions. Does God hate sin? Absolutely. But does God love the sinner? Absolutely. The crucifixion exalts Christ who served as a perfect example. Perfect sacrifice for per imperfect people. And the cross is all about Jesus. See, the, the, the crucifixion literally, the, the Bible tells us, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men nigh unto me. And I be lifted up. Christ literally was exalted. He was lifted up to hang between earth and sky. Strung there in, in between all of heaven and all of humanity to pay our sin debt. See, the cross is much more about Christ and his obedience to the Father and his glorification as the Son than it is about us. It's all about Jesus. We're just beneficiaries of this beautiful story called the gospel. <laughs> the cross exalts Christ. The crucifixion was God doing in Christ what we could never do for ourselves. It answered the difficult questions. It exalted Christ. And the crucifixion, if we believe it to be true, if we believe this morning that Christ carried our sin to the cross, then the crucifixion, every time we see a cross, should be a reminder and a call to action. If you would come after me, take up your cross and follow me. It's not just... It's not just a, a piece of jewelry that we wear. It's not an emblem that we draw. It's not just a symbol that associates us as Christians. 
cross is our call to action, to take up our own and to follow the Savior who faithfully laid down his life for his sons and daughters, for his sheep and for his friends. And that's what Friday looked like. And then came the resurrection. And this is what I love about the resurrection. The, re the resurrection was God showing the whole world that there would be no rivals. The resurrection was God showing the entire world that there would be no one to compete with him, that he would have no rivals, that he alone was God of the universe. See, every other king that tried died. Every other great teacher stayed dead. Every other leader and military general all had a headstone. But God raised from the dead. Christ, the king, came from the dead with life and liberty to those of us who would follow after him and submit our lives to him, declaring his preeminence, his supremacy over all things. I love what Tim Keller says. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then don't worry about anything that he said. The issue on which everything hands is not whether you like what Jesus taught or not, but whether he, rather if he rose from the dead. Because if you believe today he rose from the dead, then we stand without excuse. He calls us to follow. And the resurrection validates the claims of Christ, that he really is who he said he was. That also gives us confidence in our future resurrection. Listen to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.14. We know that he who raised the Lord will also raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. 1 Corinthians 6.14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. This is beautiful for us. I want you to grab a hold of this this morning. The resurrection reminds us that God has no rivals and that you and I get to experience a spiritual and an eternal resurrection one day. It means that though we were dead, like Scripture says, in our sin, when Christ breathes life on us, when we confess our sin and turn to Him, we are given new life. We're raised from the spiritual darkness and depravity that we were trapped in and given new life. And given a hope that one day when we breathe our last, when we kick the bucket on this planet, when we come to the end of days, we'll be resurrected. We will spend eternity with King Jesus. I'm looking at the resurrection and the crucifixion together. Nailing down our doctrine, I want you to turn to John chapter 20 with me because I want to I want to continue the story for just a minute if you'll let me. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came down to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples and the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, saw the linen clothes laying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple who 
had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. This is where I want you to start tracking with me. I want you to see what's going on. There's an empty grave. There's an empty tomb. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, at one at his head and one at his feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them, laid him. See, this morning as I was reading what Sunday was like for them. Sunday for us is beautiful. We live, we, we know the resurrection, we hold fast to the cross and what Christ did. But for Mary and for the disciples, she was walking up to the tomb wrapped in disbelief. And all she could do was stand there and look at the brokenness of her life. All she could do is stand there and look at this symbol of death and weep. Listen, some of you have come to church this morning and you feel just like Mary. There are things in your past, promises that God has made, things that have been done to you or you have done, and all you know to do is stand there and weep. In your mind, in your heart, you think Jesus isn't where Jesus is supposed to be. You've wrestled with the idea that Jesus isn't in my life who he claims to be. And you just stand there weeping. Listen, the story's not over. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. But she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Don't you love that about Jesus? Jesus asks questions he already knows the answers to. (laughs) Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where he is. And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and to your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Listen, my prayer for you this morning, if you find yourself walking in Mary's shoes, you're looking in on brokenness in your life, you're looking in on expectations that you thought God would do, things that you don't understand, and all you know how to do is weep. My prayer for you is that you would turn your eyes upon Jesus. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgot you. He's not gone somewhere. He's not been moved. He's standing right there with you, even if you don't recognize him. Oh, that you would turn your eyes on Jesus this morning, look full in his wonderful face. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Moving along in the story. On the evening of that day, first of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as The Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Listen, some of you find yourselves there this morning. Some of you are faithful disciples who are honoring Christ, attempting to live a life of holiness that would honor the Lord. I mean, for you, I pray that you would experience the thing that Jesus breathed out, that the Holy Spirit would grab a hold of your life, and that you would feel his peace, and that you would just make more disciples. Listen, if you're a disciple this morning, If you've 
move past the weeping and you're following Jesus. My prayer for you is that you would make a disciple. A disciple is a disciple because they make disciples. Did you catch that? Oh, if you're a disciple and you have faith in Christ and and you believe in the resurrected Savior, my prayer for you is that you would not spend your life sitting on a pew, tithing to some church and maybe serving on a committee, but that you would invest your life in the gospel in someone that desperately needs it. That's a disciple. But the story continues. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple told them, told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of nails and place my hand in his side, I will never catch this word, believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hand. Put your hand in the place of my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have believed and not seen. Listen, some of you feel like Mary standing outside the grave. Some of the regrets of your life or the broken pieces of your life. And you're looking back in and all you know to do is weep. I pray you turn and look to Christ. Some of you feel like a disciple this morning. You're in the trenches and you're just following Christ. My prayer for you is to receive the Holy Spirit, cling to his peace, and to continue to follow him. But some of you this morning walked into church feeling like Thomas. You missed the party. See, all of his buddies got to see Jesus face to face. All the rest of the disciples are walking on cloud nine, even Mary at this point. Everybody is celebrating their risen king, and Thomas missed the party. Some of you come to church this morning, you feel like you've missed the party. You struggle with your doubt, and you struggle with your grief, and you think, man, if God really knew all the things that I think about him or think towards him, then he wouldn't love me anymore. Newsflash, he knows everything about you and all that you've thought about him, and he still loves you so much. He missed the revelation that all of his buddies was able to receive. He was late to the party. And even in the midst of his doubt, Christ didn't refuse him. What was interesting about this text, and what I want you to see with me this morning, I've read this text, I don't know how many times in my life, probably hundreds of times, read over that text specifically about Thomas. And every time I've read it, I've never walked away with, with, with this idea and with this thought. Every single time I've read it, in my mind, it kind of played like this. Thomas said, unless I see his hands and I see his side, I won't believe. And in my mind, it just kind of, like the way it has always played out, Jesus just kind of appeared in that moment, right? Like, I don't know if anybody else's mind played that way, but for me, it was like, oh, Jesus kind of pops in the room. There were eight days. There were eight days that Thomas had to wrestle in grief and doubt. Every night he went to bed listening to the disciples reminisce on what Jesus looked like post-resurrection. Every night Thomas had to look in on the lives of the other believers and hear his buddies while they were eating dinner talking about how Christ offered up his hand and showed him their side and how he was, and he looked glorious and, and how he was going to set all things right. And he listened in on all the other disciples while he was wrestling with his doubt and his grief and his fear. And some of you have come this morning and you live life like that. You feel other believers, you hear other believers talking about how good God is, but sometimes it's hard for you to see. 
You hear other believers talking about how faithful God's been, and you feel like life has been a cloud, and you just want to hear his voice. So I'm going to encourage you this morning, hopefully with, with what I glean from the life of Thomas. Listen, at somewhere in the heart of doubting Thomas, there was a glimmer of hope. Because let's be honest, if he didn't think Jesus was coming back, he would have bailed day one. But day two rolls by, and day three rolls by, and day four rolls by, and Thomas the doubter is still hanging out with the, with the disciples. See, in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his grief, in the midst of him missing the party and feeling like things were passing him by, he clung on to the hope that Christ was going to meet him face to face. The only reason he would have stayed. So this morning, listen, if you come in this room and you, you, you feel like you've missed the party, you feel like you're wrestling with doubt and fear, just cling on a little bit longer and you'll see him face to face. You'll meet a Christ who does not reject you in your doubt or abandon you in your weakness. And I love that he walks in the room and he doesn't look at Thomas and say, Thomas, how dare you doubt me? How dare you wrestle with fear? How dare you struggle with bitterness because you missed the party? Here's my hand. Here's my side. Thomas, it's me. See, this morning all of us walk in this room with baggage. Some of us are just a lot better than others at putting, you know, putting masks on and covering up, but we all got baggage. We all got doubts. We all have fears. We all wrestle with sin. And I bring these three stories to you specifically today. One, so that you would see Mary, someone weeping in her grief. Jesus didn't reject her. He just waited for her to turn around and face him. Would someone turn around and face him this morning? And you see Thomas in the scripture wrestling with doubt and fear. Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus offered his very hand in his side. Man, he affirmed him in his weakness. He loved him right where he was. And then you have the disciples. If you find yourself this morning weeping over the past, staring at the emptiness of loss, thinking that Christ is nowhere to be found and the story is over, my prayer for you is that you would just turn to Jesus. Set your eyes on him and believe. If you find yourself wrestling in doubt and fear beyond your control, feeling the late to the party and fearful that Jesus won't come through for you, stay faithful, keep serving, keep hoping, and watch Christ show up with arms stretched wide. And if you're a disciple in the trenches, faithfully loving, serving, and giving your life up for the sake of the gospel, then pray and ask God for things that only he can accomplish. Could we together this morning be bold enough to believe? I'm going to read you one more scripture and I'll let you go. We're going to have a time of response. As the musicians come, I want you to hear this. In the midst of doubt, in the midst of Uncertainty, these are the words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you that I go away to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you have known me, you have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him this morning. My prayer for you, my prayer for ourselves, our church, 
is that we would turn our eyes to Christ Jesus, the only one who gave up his whole life, lived sinless, died in our place, carried our sin to be able to hold us in the midst of our weeping, to comfort us in our grief, to forgive us in our sin, to settle our fears in the midst of our doubt. Oh, that you would turn to Jesus this morning, who's the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a song of response. During this song, um, if you want to pray at this altar, that we would love for you to do that. There are prayer, there's prayer team members on the left and right of the building if you want to pray about something specific. If you want to talk about salvation this morning, surrendering your life to Christ, I'm always down front. But hear me say this. You don't need a preacher. You don't need some special formula. You have but to call on the name of the Lord. Ask Christ to save you, to redeem you, to clean you, transform you, and to make you a child of God. And He will. Let's respond together.